Welcome back to Coaches Exploring Clarity. This week, we're going to be looking at Chapter 6, Habitual Thought Patterns. And it starts off with a quote from Leonard Orr, writer and philosopher, what the thinker thinks, the prover proves. This one was quite, uh, quite interesting because most of the examples in the chapter, is I, I would go through reading them and go like, I do that. I do that. I do that. I do that one all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Greg, it's like you're reading my mind. It, that's exactly that. And, and, and I need this up somewhere as a, as a mantra. You know, I need to have it sort of, or so on some sort of little self-attached, selfie thing hanging in front of my face because it, it it looks to me like that is like everything and that's going on all the time, all day, even at night when we're dreaming sort of thing. Mm. Um, and again, just to be able to see it and realise that whether the thinker's thinking it or the prover's proving it, none of it is true. Mm. Every time. Or especially when you're not... In again, in that place where you want to be, you know, and something's going on, it 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 it's there every time. Yeah. And how what the thinker thinks and the prover proves is indeed none other. Or for me, you know, I can't seem to haven't found any exceptions to this. It's just a habit or a hab habitual thing that comes up for no apparent reason yeah yeah but what i felt when i started that's the third time maybe even more that, that i read this one now and for me i thought this is where the rubber hits the road mm. this is where it where it's where it's all at and um when we start to see that habitual thinking and pay attention to it or not it's like you say, Greg, it's it's yeah, that's me. That's me. I do that. Oops, I do that. And then even though you know it's going on, you're like, I still do that. I still do it. And there's some kind of sometimes I'm a little bit amazed at myself. I'm like, but you know that. I mean you know you're doing that. You know you do that. It's it's the yeah, I know it, but it's still there, it's still happening, it's always gonna happen. So what I took away from the chapter in that regard was that um you don't have to try to not make it happen, like not do it. <laughs> like doing it is is the most natural human thing. That's how our experience is created. Like it's it's not a matter of resisting it or fighting it or trying not to do it. It's just the capacity to recognize what it is um, when it's not serving you. That's kind of yeah. what I took away. Yeah. Yeah, here, here to that, Greg, which kind of makes sense when that kind of habit is like, let's say, accelerated or goes into some sort of exponential kind of thing, which would naturally lead to stress. And you can understand that you, one, as, as James starts, you know, talking about his recovery from alcohol, how how you know it's just got to stop, but we 
at that time, we don't have any anything else to look at other than, you know, drugs or alcohol or antidepressives or, or whatever. You know, that makes sense mm. because it, it it's like, it sort of points to me some way how, how like it's the, the inner wisdom like knows it's got to stop, but that's as far as it gets. Like, but now what? So mm. the best thing it can do is resort to the, you know, the medicine cupboard or the, or the joints, or the or the whatever, or the alcohol, or the the drink, and and sort of it, sort of rather human that we often don't take that that information, if you like, that wisdom, that that guidance. Like it's just got to stop, just one step further. We don't. We get back into the habitual thinking. It's, it's, almost, it's like um, we're trying to solve the intangible with something tangible, and, and yeah. it's just not—it's not doable. So we spiral. Yeah. The uh, the quote of what what the thinker thinks the prover proves reminded me of a a Stephen Covey quote that I used to like, which was, um, "Argue for your weaknesses, and they're yours." You know, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. Yeah. And it, it's totally aligns with that notion that what your thinker thinks your prover proves. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's so much somebody else said as well, you know, it's the same thing. Like, you know, and like, we're really pleased because like, that means we're right. Yeah. Yeah. But like, again, then somebody else said, you know, well, hang on a minute. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Mm. <laughs> but like with this sort of self, you know, yeah, prophecy, but ah, oh, yeah, but you yeah. know, I was right. I was right. I told you so. Yeah. You know, it's like looking at somebody's tombstone, you know, they sort of got there and it's got written on on it the epitaph, you know, it's I told you so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I learned a new word in this chapter that on page 72, he says, uh, we all intuitively know that our thoughts are fleeting and ephemeral. Okay. I had to look ephemeral up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the context, I kind of knew what it was pointing yeah. to, but I, I don't recall yeah. ever seeing that word before. Um, yeah. But it's a, gr it's a great reminder of um, how quickly our thoughts can change. I, I, when my daughter was home, Easter, we were out walking the dog, and she was complaining about something about school. I don't know who, whatever teenagers complain about, and uh, and I just changed the subject because she had gone to see her friend who was performing in a play uh, the week before, and I so I just changed the subject to oh, how was that play with your friend? And she like on a dime went from being kind of grumpy and miserable to be around to all lit up and happy and. Explain yeah. this amazing experience she had watching her friend, <laughs> her and her other group of friends supporting this one friend that was performing. So it was, um, you know, not really a trick that I pulled on her, but <laughs> just, you know, changing the subject and changing the thinking and then the witnessing the feeling that, that comes along with that was, was kind of a cool thing to experience with her. Yeah. When, when I noticed that a lot, that's really interesting, Craig. When I when I notice that a lot, it's when we get 
we're now living we're living in the world of messaging and messaging and text and everything on the internet and we get when someone sends us a message and there's some angst in it something is going on and if we haven't seen it for a while so if someone sends you something something's going on and you react but if someone sent you a message and you haven't seen it for hours and they've sent you something that's like the world is on fire and you see it a few hours later and you're like geez you know are you okay and they're like oh yeah you know whatever it's got you know that thing's gone and whereas if we got into it in that moment the whole story would have been so much bigger so that's the that is the fleetingness of it where yeah. we you know when, when it catches up to you later it's up yeah. and up off a smoke yeah and it it kind of makes sense that i'm wondering where the word ephemeral comes from like who invented it and where <laughs> where it comes from it kind of makes sense not to know what it means because it is so non-formless and none yeah. nothingness yeah that indeed one kind of skips over it. Like, oh, I'm not going to take any notice of that. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had, when I was reading this uh, chapter yesterday, I, I read the top of page 74, which says, remember thought is the best special effects department in the world powered by mind and brought to life in our experience by consciousness. I had this, I'm going to do a post, but uh, sometime this week, but I had this image of this post, which was like uh, at the Oscars, the, you know, every year the special effects award goes to thought. (laughs) And this year it goes to thought again. It's, you know, the notion of it being the best special effects department in the world. Yes. Yeah. Unless you get slapped in the face and you're called Will Smith. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, he still got his Oscar. Yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, that's something I like that. In the bottom of that page, Lynn, I was thinking of you because you often refer to children and as a, um, I don't know, an example of how the mind works before contamination. Yeah. And Jamie outlines kind of all these steps here of, yeah. of how kids see the world. And uh, the, the one line I, I underlined was it says, uh, um, they haven't yet learned that there's anything wrong with thinking whatever they think. And I yeah. thought to myself, yeah, it's it's so true how mm-hmm. we condition ourselves and our kids and, you know, our employees or our colleagues or whatever, that there's a right way to think. <laughs> yeah. And we get caught in that trap all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny because that's the only bit on this page that I highlighted. Those three lines, starting with the little children, to the to the, they're not trying to correct their thinking or trying to change their feelings. And that sentence there, they're not trying to correct their thinking or trying to change their feelings. And that that got me to thinking: How often do we try and do that? Mm. Do we recognise that we're we're thinking? Well, <laughs> Elaine was at the mercy of this this morning when I was on my walk and messaging her. So I was having thinking. Well, I I was having a, a physical sensation of it. It I, initially it felt like a little bit of anxiety, and then I thought I feel kind of panicky, which is weird. I'm out walking in nature, and nothing's going on. And as far as I could see, I didn't really have a lot on my mind. So I have this sensation and then I start looking at it and I'm like, oh, and then I kind of realize maybe that thinking or it's that thinking that's causing that. So then I start having, I start to correct my thinking to take away the feeling of Mm. panicking and thinking, okay, this is a spiral. 
if I was five, I wouldn't be doing that. Mm. I would not be doing that. There is no way I would be doing that. I wouldn't be going in and going, I have to make this right so I don't feel this way, or I have to change this so I don't feel this way. Probably, you know, just feel that way. Yeah. So if I'm five, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And how often, back to the, the whole point about the habitual, um, the habitual thinking, how often is that going on in any given day in all of us? Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So. If you were five, you'd probably stomp your feet and scream, and then that would be the end of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll try yeah. that tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And and how I mean, right there, kids learn at a very early age. Sadly, you know that the more they stomp their feet and scream and have a tantrum the more the carer, adult, tutor, parent will try to correct it. Yeah. And, and how, you know, how much of that goes on, either in your own mind chatter, like Lynn, you know, saying, well, I need some thinking to correct the thinking kind of thing. Or, or you know, in schools or, or at work or, or in, you know, intimate relationships or wherever. Like, the other seems to think that there's something that needs to be that something's wrong when everything seems to point to in this chapter, you know, how everything actually as it is is just right and it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that scenario you just described, I mean, you see it all the time in grocery stores with you know, the kids having a tantrum and then the parent starts yelling at them. And then the parent is having a tantrum <laughs> and then telling the kid, why can't you just control yourself? And I keep, I, I'm sitting there watching thinking like, I don't know, you're the adult. Why can't you control yourself? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. I did highlight the, uh, the Sid Banks quote on page yeah. 77. Um, Cindy Banks often yeah. referred to the principle of thought as the missing link, saying, thought is the missing link that gives us the power to recognize the illusionary separation between the spiritual world and the world of form. And then Jamie goes on to quote some stuff out of his book, Results. But um, I know I, 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 that's one thing I find, I don't know for certain, but I suspect that one of the differences, and I know Jamie's mentioned it from the first edition of Clarity to this edition, is he stepped into the spiritual side of things a lot further this go around um which i think is very powerful yeah um and not uh, i also underlined the um sidbank's quote and i wasn't really quite sure why i was underlining it but just now that you've said that greg and the, the idea of illusionary separation I kind of see sometimes I think there's a, a kind of another further misunderstanding um, of what Sid's bank, Sid Bank's basic message is, um, is that, kind of said simply, is this that it could look like the only place to be is in that spiritual beautifulness. But I think there's a big misunderstanding out there in the world of spiritual teachers and, and such like 
because it, it leaves you kind of thinking, well, if I sort of go off into the ranks of spirituality, then what will happen to me? And that is, is like a further separation. Whereas it's it's not so much a separation rather than a, I see it like as a uniting of, of mm. all the parts of the one human being and the uniting and joining all of that to every other human being and to the and to nature, which was the the point of the what was it chapter five, yeah. um, and to everything else. So indeed, separation is actually a, a big thing, and it gets can get even more confusing when perhaps teachings are trying to, to you know to make it all connect, but it kind of looks like oh, so we've all got to be spiritual and meditate all day. Well, that's no, that's not the message. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's a good distinction for sure. Mm -hmm. yes, yeah. The only next thing, I, the only thing I had more in this paragraph was when uh, to go to the thought experiment. Mm. Um, yeah. Is it is it possible that many of the things you've been experiencing as problems? until now a reflection of the mistaken belief that your thinking was real. And and that's back to all the things that go on in our, our to me when if you just sit and think for a minute about everything that comes up in your daily life that you're trying to solve and how many ways we try to solve things or how many ways we look to at something that needs to be fixed. And mm. oftentimes when it's left alone, there's really nothing to be done. Yeah. So, kind of yeah. And, and and just as I looked at it again, I, I suddenly thought there must be something. So I tried to think of something like really practical. And I, as we speak, um, there's a, one of my inner inside door handles is loosening off. So it needs to be fixed. So, oh, well, that's actually a problem. Yes, I'm definitely experiencing that as a problem because I know like right now, silly example, I don't have that screwdriver or that thing that I need just to gently lever it off the door kind of thing. So I'll have to go and buy it, the nuisance, what am I going to do it? That's pro so it, but lo and behold, there you go. That's the problem. The door handle, you know, per se, is not a problem. It just needs fixing. It's just a door handle. <laughs> should, I, should I want to, if you see what I mean? All the rest, indeed. I was desperately trying to find, there must be an exception to this. Mm. But actually, as I looked at it before and as I look at it again now, I still can't find one. Yeah. In my career, we often you know, thought of things like, you know, one man's problems, another man's opportunity kind of thing. So we, you know, we'd sit in boardrooms and, look at all the problems in our business and try to figure out, well, okay, if we reframe them as opportunities, what shows up for us? And quite often things would show up when you, when you think, when you remove that label of, of, uh, of problem. Um, yeah. It also, this also reminded me of another Covey quote that I like, which is if you think the problem is out there, that very thought is the problem, um, which I used to, I used to interpret that quote much differently than I do now, but um you know, I, I was getting coaching not long ago from Chip Chipman about something. And he, I think he said, like, you know, um, what if this wasn't even a problem? 
And it was like, yeah, I never really considered that. But like, I, I was so invested in the fact that it was a problem for sure. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, it, it, that, that changed things quite a bit for me, shifted things. Yeah. Yeah. And the other shift I think there as well is when somebody has the audacity to ask you something like, you know, what if that wasn't a problem and you don't get a slap in the face or something yeah. like that? It's just hearing that, like be, being able to, it's almost like, as you said that, Greg, it's like there's already a shift in my actual habitual thinking, you know, because now of, of the work that I'm doing on this and, and you know, where I've got to so far. Mm. Like the, the, there's some sort of, because just as you said, had you said that, like, well, what if it's not a problem kind of thing? You know, I'd have been straight on the next plane to Canada to slap you on the nose. <laughs> what the F are you talking about, man? But just interestingly, how you said that, there must be something within me that I can see is already changing that I could even entertain the question mm. without punching on the nose sort of thing. So right. that's kind of interesting, that's interesting to see. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the thing that's, that's occurring to me is, is just the the notion that it's all made up like like the illusionary experience that we're having but like the labels we put on like classifying something as a problem um you know investing ourselves emotionally or or uh you know deeply in in that problem is all made up. It, it kind of brings me back to in that section about the kids, there was something I made a note of where it said, when it says they haven't yet learned there's anything mm -hmm. wrong with their thinking, I wrote down in the margin, I said, according to who? Like, um, like all these rules or, or things that we seem to live by, when you start questioning, like, well, uh, you know, according to whom, like who, who made that up? Again, I'll refer back to my career we used to sit in these meetings and people go, well, the business wants us to do this or the, and I'd be like, who the hell's the business? Who's like, the aren't, business? Aren't we the business? Like we're the, yeah. the, you know, the team management team sitting here trying to make decisions and, and we're referencing some fictional, the business, like who, who's this, the business, how can we go talk to him or her and find out what they really want? <laughs> Cause they seem to be causing us lots of problems and yeah. it was all, it's all just made up. Yeah. And, and, that, that's one of the that's just on the page 73 you know on the little um table that jamie does oh, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah the company's that's... issue you know how can a company have an issue it's only got yeah. walls and a production plant and a few desks and yeah. you know how can it have you used something yeah oh i love that chart oh. how, it, how it uh mm -hmm. i don't know pulls apart all those metaphors that we use to describe yeah. things yeah, yeah. I, I, I especially like I, the the last one. It took a long time for my thinking to get them this messed up. It's going to take a long time for it to get sorted out. Yeah, and yeah. how amazing it is that we believe that until it changes, mm. and and when something changes in a split second, it, it is it almost appears unbelievable. It mm. just almost appears unbelievable. It's like, how come, 
how come I could have carried that thing for so long or thought this thing for so long and then in a puff of smoke it's gone it just seems it's it's yeah that's that's one of the little miracles to me but yeah this but this convincing ourselves it's it's going to be hard it's going to be it's going to take a long time it's going to be complicated it's going to be it's going to be and oh. we've created a problem in itself thinking about a problem mm. um yeah yeah and yeah and just come to mind i hope i'm not being blasphemous here jamie smart forgive me um <laughs> one of i remember one of my meals uh you never know you might have a listen in <laughs> Anyway, one of Michael Neal's, one of the first things I read from Michael Neal, which was the the size of a problem is equal to the volume of thinking about it. Mm. Which sort of sums up the same, the same thing, yeah. but no more, no, no more, no less. Yeah. Well, then, let's uh, close out chapter six, and uh, next yep. week we'll uh, dive into chapter seven. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you.